Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henrik, is Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I wanted to pop in here for a quick reminder that from June 1st through July 31st, our Pride Award submissions are open. The Pride Award is for emerging LBGTQIA plus authors who write in the crime genre. Information is on sistersincrime.org's website and also in the show notes for this episode. Please spread the word. Let anyone know you don't have to be a Sisters in Crime member to submit your materials. Uh, And we're really looking forward to supporting new voices in the crime writing field and new LBGTQIA plus voices. So June 1st through July 31st, check it out on sistersincrime.org. It's not for members only. Thanks so much. Hello, it's Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Kim Keeline to the podcast today. Kim, when not running a 1907 steam locomotive or lecturing on Shakespeare, is active in the mystery community, including organizing VoucherCon 2023 in San Diego. We're going to talk more about that. Her first published story was a 2021 Derringer finalist. You can check in at her website for her short stories, novel in progress, and freelance work for authors in marketing and web designing. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me here. I, I'm, I'm excited to be able to chat with you. Oh, I'm I'm very excited. You've been an active member of the mystery community um, for a long time. You know, you're uh, uh, incredibly generous with your um, knowledge and your support. You did a great webinar for Sisters in Crime on Scrivener um, earlier this year. But today I want to talk to you about your writing. Uh, and then we're, we're, we are going to talk about Butchercon because uh, thank you for taking that on. That's not a minor <laughs> thing, being the host uh, city for, for that huge conference. But let's talk about writing. When did you first say to yourself, I want to write? Oh, that's an interesting question because I was thinking recently, gee, when I was like 17, I tried to write a fantasy novel. Um I did this huge sort of di- deep dive into their past and their mythology. I made a big giant map on a big old scrap piece of paper. And I wrote maybe 20, 30 pages at the beginning of the story. Um, I had this very complex, you know, one of those epic ones where they go off on a quest. And mm-hmm. I was reading mysteries and fantasy a lot when I was young. So the first time I tried to write, it was fantasy. And at about 18, first semester in college, I gave up on it. And it got tucked away in a closet somewhere. And years later, I found it and kind of laughed and went, wow, that was funny. Um, but I was you know, pursuing academics. I, I got my bachelor's, my master's, and eventually my PhD in English literature. And I was reading, obviously, a lot, uh, including mysteries, which became my big thing to read. 
but I wasn't seeing myself as a writer. And then about halfway through my dissertation, one day I sort of accidentally came up with an idea that I thought was really brilliant for a mystery novel. But it was a really bad time for me to be pursuing a project other than my (laughs) dissertation. Yeah. So I wrote down a bunch of notes, whole bunch of notes. And in 2008, when I finished my dissertation, it took me a little while to sort of unwind from that. It was Mm -hmm. pretty traumatic. It's a lot of work. But I started thinking more about that project again, the thing that I said I wanted to do. So eventually, I got around to trying it. But I'd never really written fiction other than that attempt at fantasy. So I didn't know a thing about what I was doing. And so I started trying to find help which is, of course, how I found was a, a, a Sisters in Crime group in San Diego at the time, and it was just sort of dying out. So I took a little bit of stuff with them, and then they sort of disappeared. Uh, years later, I um, helped reform a chapter, which we now have a good active chapter again in San Diego. But there was this big lapse mm-hmm. when there was nothing, uh, which mm-hmm. was sad. Um, but I did take a few little classes with them and meet up with them and try. And then I kind of gave up and then I tried, I kind of gave up and then I got more serious about it. And that's when I, I worked on getting the new chapter locally. I started working on it. We got to read a critique group together from the chapter. Um, And then in 2020, I wrote my first short story because our local chapter decided to do an anthology. Uh, So, Late 2019, I guess I wrote that story, and it got published in 2020. And that's the one that became a Derringer finalist. I now have five short stories that have been accepted and published, and I'm still working on the novel. In fact, I'm working on three novels uh, (laughs) because I like doing projects, and I get through a rough draft, and then I set it aside, and next thing I know, I'm writing another rough draft, and then I'm thinking I need to go back to the first one, and... It needs work still, but I do have two complete rough drafts of novels and one partial. And it's many years in the the making, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of writers go through that. The Mm -hmm. first book is years Mm -hmm. because they have to learn what they're doing. And then if they do get published, it means they learned a lot and the next book's much faster. So I hope that I will do that, yeah. that I will get one of these books published because, let's face it, especially the first one, it, the first draft was not particularly good because mm-hmm. I was still learning what I was doing and there was a lot of stuff that I went, went back and went, oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, the plot's still brilliant. I still think the plot's brilliant on it, but the writing has been the hard part. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I started and stopped several times and then got more serious in the last eight or nine years, I guess. Um, and what, how did you, you said that you took some classes through Sisters in Crime and other things, but how did you hone your craft? Because academic writing is different <laughs> than fiction writing. Yes. And being an, a PhD in English literature may not make, it easy for you to be, <laughs> although there's some great, great academics who've been, um, been mystery writers for sure. But how did you unlearn some of your academic habits and, and learn about the craft of writing a mystery? 
my reading critique group may say that I'm still not completely gotten rid of that because they're always <laughs> complaining my sentences are too long. Um, they'll say run on sentence and I'll be like, no, I know that is grammatically correct. I taught grammar in college. That's when you can't get a literature course, you end up teaching composition courses. And I taught loads of composition courses. Um, I know I'm grammatically correct, but is that sentence too long for fiction? Probably. So I still have a tendency to get a little, especially in my first drafts because I'm writing and I'm just thinking about things and the sentence gets a little extended. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the way I think from years of academics. Um, so there's still some of that hanging in there. I think that it's it's about reading a lot of people, uh, doing the classes. I, I, I listen to the sync webinars when they come up. I keep working. I see what my reading critique group does because mm-hmm. they all have different things they're great at. I mean, one of my people, oh, my God, she's so good at pacing. She's just, I mean, her story is something happens and something happens and you're always like, what's going to happen next? She's never too slow and it never feels like it's dragging. So when she says I've got good pacing, I go, whew, I must be doing okay. Um, So by seeing what they do well and sometimes seeing what they don't do well, you go, that's bothering me. Why is that bothering me? Oh, Mm -hmm. because of this. Okay. I want to make sure I don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, I've learned so much. I'm now in two reading critique groups through Sisters in Crime chapters where they've organized local members to be in groups. And it's been really remarkable for me. Plus, I make great friends that way. Uh, People who I feel, you know, we're, we're going through this journey together. Yeah. Well, and finding a good reading critique group is such a gift and not always easy to do. Yes, the Did first group you... I've been in a long time, and we're very, very good. The second one's much more recent, and I think we're still working out the kinks, you know. Yeah, so talk to, you know, many more questions, but talk to me about that finding a good critique group, because a bad critique group can do more harm than good. It's and- true, and I have certainly, I have left a couple of reading critique groups over time uh, because, well, one was a non-mystery specific one. And I found that the people don't understand our genre. So I have cozies and traditionals and historicals I'm working on. And I was showing them my cozy. That's the first one I was working on, um, which since I'm a steam train engineer, I was doing, I am doing a story about a volunteer steam train engineer, a woman in this very male hobby who then, of course, stumbles across bodies. So I showed them this book and I was working on, and they'd ask things like, why does she have a cat? And I'm like, because it's a cozy? And they're like, I don't understand why she's spending time with a cat. And I'm like, okay, this is not working. They kept trying to, to correct me on stuff that wasn't actually a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't understand certain, they're like, she's, she's an amateur. Why is she bothering with this? You have to explain it more. And I'm like, actually, I probably don't need to explain it a lot more because this is just something we accept in the genre that this woman is going to get involved. Um, but they didn't understand because none of them read mysteries at all, mm-hmm. not even cozies, um, being a problem. They didn't read mysteries. So at that group, I left, um, So I think one of the issues is you need it to be someone who understands your genre um, because otherwise they're going to do crazy stuff. And then I once heard someone say something really interesting. If your reading critique group says there's something wrong, there's a good chance there's something wrong. But when they tell you how to fix it, that may not be the way to fix it. Yeah. Um, 
because sometimes they'll say things like, I think you need to do this or this plot. And really what they're, they're having a problem with a particular thing that could be fixed in many different ways and their way of fixing it might not be right. The best um, one. Yeah. But it's still showing that there's something, their reaction to the story. And I do find that very valuable seeing their reactions. Um, you know, oh, I'm thinking it's this person at this point, or I'm confused about that point, or I can't, I don't feel this location. I'm confused when you're describing her going to this building or that building. I can't see it. I'm like, okay, that's great. I need to know that. Let's go back, see what's causing that problem. Um, but when they start telling me, I think she should say this or do that, sometimes it's not that they, she needs to say that or do that, but it's showing that there is some other issue underlying that they're getting confused about. Mm -hmm. so sometimes they, people try to get too specific on fixing you rather than just showing you that they have a reaction to a particular type of issue in the story. Right. Um, and that can be bad, particularly if you have someone who's very opinionated and not always right about these things. I've seen that in groups where they're yeah. just like, no, you got to do this. Your whole story is wrong. Do this. I want the character to become much more this way. And you're like, but that's not my story. That would be your story. Yes. Um, that's the wrong way to go about it. Right. Um, but saying, you know, I mean, I had a person recently tell me they don't find the character particularly likable in this chapter. And I had to think, okay, what about this chapter would cause this person to react this way? You know, and so then I, you, you start going, okay, and is it everyone in my group that feels a little likable or just this one person? And is right. there something about that person's preferences about characters that I need to be considering or not? Right. And it's my story. Sometimes you just go, you know what? I disagree with this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't please everyone all the time. So I think you have some people get too caught up in trying to please everyone in their group and they just rewrite and they rewrite and they rewrite and they start losing who they are and their voice and what they wanted out of the story, mm -hmm. uh, which is a problem. It still has to be your story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, that's, um, and you make brought up a great point at the, um, earlier when you said your first book you write, you're learning how to write a book. And sometimes you need to step away from that first book and to come back with clear eyes to know really how to fix it. Because, you know, that often is for many, many people, a labor of love that takes years and years and years, and you can't see how to fix it um, until you step away or work on something else and you come back and say, okay, let me Yes, here we go. You know, I've got to get rid of the first 50 pages and yeah, I've got and, to do this. Yeah. And I definitely, I had to. I mean, I was just Facebook, you know, does these memories where they tell you things. And it said seven years ago uh, this week, you were at the San Diego State Writing Conference, which San Diego State University used to have a writer's conference. It's gone now. I think it quit like five years ago. But at that, you would have, you'd send in your first 10 pages. And the person you sent it to, they had, a group of people, editors and agents mostly, would decide on one person's thing for each person, would choose one person. They said, this is the best of the drafts I got. And I won that for, for my train book. But he also said, you're also going to have to delete all 10 of those pages. 
because you've got her back in Chicago. That's pre the story. That's backstory. It's very well written. I'm interested. The characters are interesting, but none of it belongs in your book. And I kind of went, oh, yeah. all right. So I learned a lot from that. Yeah. Uh, he liked the concept of the story. He liked the character, but that was a horrible beginning. It was right. too far removed from the main action. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. Uh, I just hadn't realized it. Um, beginnings are hard. I think the first yes. opening of the chapter one is like one of the worst things to write. I yep. keep changing it. I, I'm like, what's the, op- what's the opening that's exciting enough and not just her sitting there thinking, um, but close enough to the action that I'm not too far from the dropping of the body. Um, right. Right. And can hook somebody in. I, I, I do think um, weaving in backstory is a tricky, tricky thing to learn yeah. how to do um, and can come in edits and things like that. But, you know, how much do you cut before the inciting incident and how do you get how do you s- explain what the world is before you you disrupt it? You know, I mean, it's 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 a lot to figure out and to balance. Oh, and I've, I've tried that book, which, as I said, is my first one that I started writing. I had her first in Chicago before she comes back to Southern California. Then I had her starting on the plane. Then I had her being picked up at the airport. And then I had her moving into the, her aunt's house for the first time. Now I think it's the morning after that, which is like two days before the body. She keeps moving closer to the time <laughs> period, but none of it's quite worked yet. I've never been happy with that opening scene. Yeah. I am still moving closer to the thing, but I don't know how much closer I can get and still have it work. Right. You need some info to come out before the body, especially in the first book. Once the character and the setting is established, I could probably do the body more quickly. Mm-hmm. But in the first book, I think you do need a little bit of setup and figuring out how much setup. I mean, I keep cutting. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it all depends on, on your book, right? Some books, the body doesn't come till a quarter of the way through, but the inciting incident is early on and, you know, you're setting everything up. So, you know, there's no rules for this. I mean, I, I, I which I think is part of the fun, but also part of the challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah, which you're, and then you're not making it easy on yourself because you're you're writing three books: traditional, cozy, and historical, yes. which are three different. I mean, cozy and traditional can sort of be alike, uh, but they're not. And then historical is its own beast. And then I changed the cozy from third person to first person, and the other two yeah. are still third person. Yeah. So that's also been interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if I was smart doing that or not. She just seemed like she worked better in first person. But I yeah. haven't done that in the other books. And I don't I haven't done that in most of my short stories. I think I only had one that was in first person. So obviously it's not what I usually write in. So um you're not the first writer I've spoken to who's found um joy in short stories too. <laughs> um how did you cause that is a Completely different skill set as well. I mean, writing a novel is different than writing a short story. I did not expect to write short stories at all. Right. So how did that happen? 
So I didn't, I don't, I didn't even read that many in the way of short stories. I mean, other than the traditional, I mean, I was a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers. There are short stories for those, and I did read them. But I wasn't reading modern short stories until this happened. When my group decided to do an anthology, uh, I thought, well, why not try for it? It might be fun. Um, so I just wrote something. And then it got accepted, and I was thrilled. My first publication. It's my first yeah. fiction publication. And then it became a Derringer finalist. And I went, hey, people actually thought my short story was good. Maybe I should try more of them. And that's why I now have four more published. Uh, two of them came out this month, strangely enough. They were both accepted last year, and they just took a while. Um, all of them so far in anthologies uh, for Sisters in Crime chapters. I happen to belong to several chapters, so that worked. I've tried magazines, haven't gotten in yet, but I expect that'll just take time. I mean, everyone gets rejections. I have mm-hmm. a, a literary account book, basically an Excel spreadsheet that I keep color-coded. So this is the thing I submitted, when it was submitted, all the info about it. It's yellow while it's in submission, and then it's green or red. So obviously I got my five greens, but I have several reds in there, particularly yeah. in 2021 when I first started trying to get short stories out there. Um, you know, I enjoy it because I'm able to experiment in voice and plot and all sorts of different things, but also really work on my editing and mm-hmm. trying to get better at dialogue and some of the things that I think I'm seeing improve in my drafts of my novels because I'm getting more confident in it through my short stories. Mm-hmm. I agree they are different animals, uh, but there are skills that I'm learning doing the short stories. And, of course, the editor's feedback and stuff when it gets published has really been helpful, uh, helping me see things that maybe I sometimes need to tweak a little bit in my writing. And then I go back and try to apply that to the novels as well. Um, it's It's been fun. I mean, my first story was about a woman in a car being carjacked on the worst day of her life while crossing the border from Mexico to uh, San Isidro here in Southern California. Uh, my second story was about a con man in a poker game. I've never played poker, so I read <laughs> it about poker. It was fun. Uh, I now know way too many terms, poker terms. Um, my third story was of a teenager finding a body of a homeless woman on the grave of Emperor Norton in San Francisco. I happen to like Emperor Norton's history, this homeless man who people treated like the emperor of the United States and Mexico. Uh, he's wow. fascinating. Uh, so the idea of his grave is still, people still visit it and put flowers on it to this day. Um, you know, then I've got um, the two stories that just got published. One's a, a Shakespeare production. I am a Shakespeare professor. So that's obviously, and I was a big theater person in college uh, that gets sabotaged. And the mm-hmm. head of the theater company disagrees with the police's idea of what's happened. And then uh, a death doula who uh, tries to fight off a con artist. Um, they're all wow. really different from the things I write in my novels, which is fun. Yeah. 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 Do you ever think about writing a short story in the world of your novels? 
Uh, yes, I have thought about that. I recently came up with a, a possible idea for the train one. I don't have enough of the plot figured out yet, but I have sort of the, the starting incident. And mm-hmm. I went, that would be interesting. Not enough for a novel, but it might be a short story if I could just figure out where it's going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be fun and it would uh, help me. Technically, the poker one, I had written a novella um, and it was the, the short story is a prequel to that novella, basically the backstory for the, the con artist character. Um, and I, I did the novella out of a class that I took. Um, it sort of happened as a writing exercise in the class just took off and went crazy and I spent like two months writing it. And it was fun, uh, very different from what I normally write. Mm-hmm. And then the call went out in an anthology for a con artist and short story. And I went, well, I have a con artist novella, but that's way too long. Then again, I wonder what caused him to be so desperate at the beginning of the novella for money. Oh, well, maybe he had a problem with a poker game. And then the short yeah. story went from there. So technically I have written... Um, a short story based on another work is just no one's seen that other work yet. <laughs> <laughs> so as a, as a teacher, as a professor, as somebody with, with, you know, teaching literature and teaching grammar and teaching everything else, um, do you find that that helps you push yourself further? Like, can you do that? you know, use some of the insights that you give to your students on yourself so that you can, you know, um, encourage or, or redirect or anything else. I mean, is it, is it, how is that help fuel your writing? Well, I haven't taught real classes in a while now. I've actually sort of left academics. I do lectures now mostly for senior groups and, um, extended learning sort of things for seniors through universities. Mm -hmm. I like that because they actually want to be there, and my students in writing courses did not want to be there. Plus, there's tons and tons of grading if you teach composition courses, which was pretty much all anyone would give me because, let's face it, the literature courses are filled up with the higher academics who have been there for years. Um, So I very seldom got to teach Shakespeare, which is what I went to school for. Um, But the writing courses were interesting in that I think it showed me that writing can be taught, writing can be learned. There are people who believe it can't be, but Mm -hmm. I disagree with that. I mean, I taught writing. I saw my students improve. I saw them be able to do things that they didn't come into the class being able to do. And if that's true for them, why isn't it true for me as well? Mm -hmm. That I can do this. I mean, yes, I, I have learned a different type of writing. Academic writing is so different. And it's been drilled into me for many, many years. But that doesn't mean I can't learn this other writing. It just mm-hmm. may take me time and lots and lots of practice, lots <laughs> which and is lots what it has been. Yeah. Well, practice, I don't know that it does make perfect, but it is a, it is a craft. You build on it over time and, 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 do, uh, and take it from there. Um, what do you wish you'd known earlier in this fiction writing journey? Well, um, one thing I think I would have liked to have known was that I could actually get published. Maybe I would have started short stories sooner. Maybe I would have been a little more confident. I was pretty darn willing to give up many times 
in the early part of my stages. I, I rewrote those first 40 pages of that first book. And then I would give up for like a year and then I would rewrite the same 40 pages again. And I never was finishing that draft. It never was reaching the end. Um, I actually had to do NaNoWriMo on National Novel Writing Month to get to the end of that draft. The first time I tried NaNoWriMo, that's when I got past the 40 pages. I was just beating the death a bad 40 pages. And I wasn't learning what I needed to learn. And I, you really can't fix the beginning of that novel until you've reached the end. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that I needed to reach the end of that story before I'd know what a good opening scene would be. I didn't know that there would be all sorts of clues and plot points that I'd suddenly realize I needed to move back in different places. Things I have learned now that I do have a completed first draft. Um, I probably would have started it sooner, stuck with it more, and put it through to a complete draft if I simply had realized it is possible. It took me a long time for me to see that. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. confident in my writing. And I'm still not really confident in my writing. I mean, let's face it, I'm not done with this book or the other book or the other book or the novella. Uh, I don't feel they're ready. And that's partly because I have a little bit of perfection stuff going on there that probably is my next thing to need to learn about. <laughs> um well, let's talk. I mean, there are a couple of points you made, and I, and I think that can for um, writers, uh, or it, it's always helpful to hear about. First is you've got to finish the book. Um, that is one of the hardest things. That is the value of nano is that you're you're just committed to writing every day, and you just get in the habit, and you you keep forging ahead because you're trying to get um, the pages in, or a writing group, or you know an accountability mm-hmm. partner, something. But you've got to finish the book, and finishing is really hard to do. Yes, um, and, and I think that that's one. And I had a really hard time with the idea of it not being good at first. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it should be good right then. And so I would get paralyzed because what I was writing didn't feel good. And I, I it took me a long time to believe, because I'd heard people say it, but I had a hard time to believe that you can't edit a blank page. It's more important to just keep going forward. Right. And then I could go back and edit. And, and until NaNoWriMo, and until I, I really hammered into my head what I call the dog draft, because it's rough, rough. I have to accept the dog draft. I have to accept the little puppy dog and know that he's not perfect, but I could make him better later. So Mm -hmm. that draft, um, I just really had a hard time with the idea that it wasn't going to be the way it was in my head, Mm -hmm. which was really great. And then I'd go back and read it and go, this isn't really great. Um, I've, I've come to accept that a lot more now that I just need to get through yeah. and then go back and figure it out. And it will be figurable, figurable out. That's not really a phrase, but figure outable. <laughs> yes. That's not really a phrase either, but it works for me. That's yeah. what I had to figure out uh, that it's important to just keep pushing through. And the fact that I have a bunch of drafts now that I'm working through and I'm, I'm working on, you know, in Scrivener, I'm moving scenes around and I'm figuring out, oh, I need to do this and that I shouldn't have done up here. That doesn't work in the plot. And 
you know, these two characters need to be joined together because they're not really, neither of them are doing that much, but you put them together, they become a much more interesting character. uh, And then they're doing more in the plot. (laughs) Yeah. These are all things I needed to learn how to do and, and accepting to just move forward and then figure that part out later was probably the best thing for me. The other thing you talked about that I always think is worth um, mentioning or having conversations with folks about is perfectionism. (laughs) When you're, you know, you're, you've done well in other fields and a lot of people come to writing as a second career, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When you've had, had, success in another field and then you're vulnerable and you're going into writing the perfectionism from your past life can oftentimes make writing difficult because it isn't going to be perfect for a long time um and even when you get an agent or you you know an editor accepts it there's going to be work to be done on it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you're never really done. And so letting go of perfectionism is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself, I think, as a writer. And it's one I'm still working on. Uh, I think that part of it is that we tend to connect our writing to us. Yes. If our writing isn't going well, we are somehow deficient. Um, We're not a good writer or maybe we're not a writer at all. Um, I'm a failure if my writing isn't doing well, uh, or if someone has a really negative reaction to it. Right. It it gets too wrapped up in our identities, I think. And that Mm -hmm. can be a problem for many people. I think Mm -hmm. it's been a problem for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been trying to accept myself as I am a writer. I am an author. Sure. I only have five short stories published, although I'm very proud of all of them. Um, but I'm still a writer. I am writing. I am attempting to get this done. You know, it's 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 who I am. And even if the draft isn't good, that doesn't mean it can't be. Right. And so that, right. and that it doesn't right. reflect on me being a bad person just because I'm still working on this. Even though, That's right. particularly on the first book, I've been working on it for a long time. The others are right. at least more recent, but. You know, that first book, I didn't know what I was doing. And once it was in the draft, it was really hard for me to change it because I I got too caught up in what I had had. And yeah. that's what I've been learning in the new drafts. And I'm now taking back and redoing the first one because I think I finally may be in a headspace where I can really do that. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the reasons of many that I wanted to have this conversation with you is because um, I think it's important for us to have these, to talk about being a writer. Being published is a different journey. Being a writer is the thing that you can control as much as you can. And and you're right. You need to separate it from your own self-worth, but it also, it needs to give you some joy. <laughs> Otherwise, um, because you can, you know, that it needs at some stage. I mean, there's some people who that first draft is just so difficult that they don't have joy then, but they do later. But I I think you need to always find it a joyful practice. Otherwise, why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. And I think I have learned in the most recent drafts, at least to find that first draft because I'm just plowing through it to be very joyful. I've got a new idea. I love having new ideas. I've got so many ideas for stories. And so, you know, I have all these notes and I go, 
I'm going to pursue this idea. This is the idea that excites me right now. And I write and I write and it's interesting, exciting. And I've got this new character and that's fun. I do like that. Hopefully it goes somewhere and eventually I then edit it and make it. The editing and revision is harder. Um, but I think there's still some joy there. I was, and obviously there's joy in being published. I, I did love, you know, I've got two short stories coming out this month. Yay. I'm excited. Yeah. That's joyful. And then I think there's the joy of the community, which Sisters yes. in Crime is such a huge part for me. So I, the joy in the draft, slightly more difficult joy in the revision and editing, <laughs> um, a different type of joy for the publishing. And then the just the constant support and quiet joy of the community, because the writing community in 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 mysteries uh, and crime fiction is remarkable. I've mm-hmm. made so many friends and met up with so many other people who are going through similar things to me. Mm-hmm. Even if some of them are multi-published, multi-award winners, I'm still hearing them complain about revisions and editing and difficulty getting up and writing today. And it's lovely to know that they have this too, and they're willing to share it with us, to not pretend like they're somehow perfect now that they are this big name person. Um, because it helps me realize this is normal. I'm not some weirdo who's struggling around while everyone else floats through life. <laughs> yes. I think that the importance of community is something that we don't always understand at the beginning of, um, yes. of the writing journey because it is solitary and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot to be said about you're quietly sitting in a coffee shop writing away, but community is essential. Um, and certainly Sisters in Crime provides uh, part of that, but you also, you know, help start chapters. You've been involved in the community from the beginning. You didn't wait till you were published or you didn't wait till anything. You immediately said, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. I'm going to meet people. And I'm going to do it to the extent that, um, you're helping organize BoucherCon in 2023. So for folks who don't know what BoucherCon is, um, can you let them know? I mean, do you yeah. have the, the well, blurb? Con started, oh, was it 52 or 53 years ago? Somewhere in that range. Over 50 years ago. And it's an international mystery conference. It's put on by fans for fans. So it's not one of those conferences that's just for writers to go to so that they can learn their craft. I've gone to those. Those are valuable and wonderful. And you meet other authors. They're great. But... I like the fan conventions, too, because it's all about we're celebrating why we love mysteries. Mm -hmm. I'm a reader. I may be a writer, but I'm also a reader. I've been reading, well, since Nancy Drew, Mm -hmm. uh, when I was seven or eight, I picked up, that's my first mystery, was Nancy Drew, then Trixie Belden, The Three Investigators, Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers. This is, that was my mystery journey. That was the beginning. Uh, I was into Dorothy L. Sayers by the time I was uh, 12 or 13. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I think that I am a, a reader as much as I am a writer. I am a lover of mysteries. It's, in fact, it's the only genre I really read nowadays. And it's so much fun because you go to these events and you see writers. They're, they're talking about what they do. You can ask them questions. You can get involved. Um, 
And yeah, somehow I got roped into doing San Diego in 2023. It, it's, it's complicated and left co- in 2016, somebody decided that it might be nice to do a left coast crime, which is another smaller convention mm-hmm. um, in San Diego. And I ended up because I was involved in our local chapter being the, one of the co-chairs and it was happening in 2020, March of 2020. And everyone knows what happened in March of 2020. That was when we were shut down halfway through the first day of the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, the mystery community is wonderful and supportive and everyone there understood what we were going through and how difficult it was after spending three years of organizing to have this collapse on us because of a international pandemic. Um, I was pretty traumatized. It took a couple months of me just sort of unable to do anything practically. Um, and then BoucherCon said we would really love to do a BoucherCon in San Diego sometime in the next couple years. We're looking at maybe 2023. Do you know anyone who'd want to get involved? And I kind of went, you do realize we just had a conference canceled. And it probably, I'm probably not the only one who was pretty traumatized by this. They're like, yeah, but we think that, you know, San Diego's a great place and you guys didn't get your conference. And, you know, BoucherCon is a very similar conference, just larger. Yeah. It's a lot larger. Um, and somehow within the next couple of months, I agreed and I put in the bid and we move forward. Um, so here I am, I'm the chair of BoucherCon and I'm planning five days of events and um, we're going to be in downtown San Diego. Our guests of honor are David Baldacci, Ann Cleves, CJ Box, Jacqueline Winspear, um, our uh, Kate Carlisle, our cozy uh, guests of honor. And then our fan guest of honor is Joanne Love, who has a wonderful blog on cozies. And then our uh, Toastmaster is Naomi Hirahara, who's fabulous. And all of these people are going to be there, plus hundreds of authors and even more hundreds of fans. And we're going to get together and celebrate mysteries. And it's I'm hearing a lot of positive things now because people want to come back. They want to come back to in-person events. I think a lot of us are pleased that it's starting to be possible again. Mm-hmm. That it's safer, that, you know, thanks to all the things that we've been doing, it's better. Right. And, you know, you need to think about wearing a mask if you're attending, if you want to. I mean, whatever your comfort zone is. But the hotels um, and the organizers do everything they can to make folks feel safe and, and um, taken care of and and to um, welcome the community back. Uh, you know, yes. the, the, a lot of these conferences did happen last year. Um, and it was, they weren't as big as they've been in the past, but it was nope. so nice to see people. And I do feel like this year things feel like they're, they're getting bigger still and, and it's still um, building. But um, as you said, left coast crime, mouse domestic killer Nashville. I mean, there are all kinds of conferences all over the country. So, oh, absolutely. um, 
the benefits of going to a conference, a writer's conference, you know, it's clear that the focus is on writing. So there's a lot of benefit there, but fan conferences, there's still opportunities to talk about writing and to meet with people and agents attend and editors attend and publicists attend and um, just to start making connections and meeting people. Absolutely. I think that that's, I mean, I've met so many people that I've become friends with that I, uh, I'm now friends on Facebook with that I'm excited to talk to um, because I've met them at conferences. I've been able to go to a couple conferences over the last few years. And I feel like I know the mystery community better. I know authors who I wouldn't have normally read originally, but then somebody recommended them and I went, oh, that sounds really interesting. Let me right. try that person. And now suddenly I'm a big fan, even if it's outside of my normal range of what I was reading, because uh, I had gotten really into mostly just reading cozies for a while. And then as I got more active in the community, I realized, okay, cozies are great. And I still love cozies. I read lots of cozies, but there's other things too. And some of these are really fascinating and wonderful. And I've been reading more of those and reading some of my friends' books and going, yeah. wow these people can write and, and I know them and that's so exciting. I mean, I'm just thrilled. These people are getting published and have such amazing books. And then, you know, I go to them and say, how do you do this? <laughs> Kim, I also think that it's such an important thing to talk about, uh, how wonderful it is to be excited for other people. You, that's the only way to keep moving uh, in a writing career is be thrilled for your friends when they get that contract or when that short story comes out. When it's your turn, they'll be happy for you, but mm. you can't um, you can't begrudge anyone their success or, oh, I'm a better writer than she is. I mean, that that's not the energy you need to use. Now, and I think the mystery community is wonderful about that. Everyone supports each other. They don't see it as some sort of zero-sum, only slices of the pie sort of thing. They I see it as, that's wonderful, that person's doing well. Let's all celebrate them. Let's share their info, um, congratulate them, recommend them number of writers recommend their friends and put out blogs, do reviews, all things authors need desperately. <laughs> yeah. um, so by helping others, then it just increases the community and increases the reach of these people. And it's been wonderful because as I said, I, I, I get people recommended from the authors I've met. They then recommend other people and I'm expanding my reading circle and all the people who are following those people could expand their reading circle and then follow those people and it probably expanded even more. And all it does is improve things because I'm not stopping reading those first people. I'm now reading everyone. Um, I'm just getting more reading done, which is lovely. Yeah, and it makes such an, it, a difference to authors. You know, a, a couple more readers may not sound like a lot, but it can be a tremendous change or difference um, in an author's life because, you know, as you said, it's it builds on itself and, and word of mouth builds and, and everything else. And, um, you know, maybe you'll have somebody show up at a reading or, or something that they wasn't going to do it before, and that can make all the difference. So it's, um, it's a wonderful frame of mind when it's a celebratory frame of mind as opposed to, you know, a um, 
a resentful frame of mind. And I think that that's the power of these conferences as well, is that you celebrate. I haven't met anyone in the Mr. Community yet who's been that resentful resentful frame of mind. Everyone is just so supportive and welcoming and community oriented. I think that if it hadn't been, I would have probably not gotten involved in the mystery community if I had run into people who were not that way. But soon as I got into the writing community, I discovered it's a really warm and welcoming place. Um, And Sisters in Crime is part of that, but I mean, just wider, all of it. Um, And I think that's been one of the reasons I've really dove into it and got involved and ended up organizing things because Mm -hmm. I like being involved in this community. I like meeting people and enjoying that celebration of the stuff I love, which is reading mysteries and writing mysteries now, but I, I, I like the celebration of reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the core groups that Sisters in Crime has always celebrated from the beginning is uh readers i mean it's it was always a consortium of readers and writers and and while the focus is certainly at helping people with their writing craft um there are many readers librarians booksellers all kinds of folks who are also were supportive of sisters in crime at the very beginning and continue to be and without whom would all be sunk so um you know i think celebrating readers is a wonderful thing to do and something we should all be doing on a regular basis because we're all readers as well. I mean, that's how you start, right? Yeah, I I can't imagine a writer of mysteries who hasn't read mysteries. I mean, that would be a terrible idea. Uh, (laughs) I have seen occasionally people try to do that with science fiction where they start writing science fiction and I'm like, you don't read science fiction. And that's always or romance. They'll think, oh, romance is good, sells well, and how hard yeah. could it be? And then they're terrible at it because you've got to, I think you need to respect and love the genre you're writing in in order yeah. to write well. Absolutely. Right? And that's, and mysteries, there's, there's a large range, obviously, of mystery, suspense, thriller. And within that, there's historical and paranormal. And I mean, there's this, we are a large genre. And I think most of us have our little sections that we particularly read in and that we particularly write in. Um, but there's so much wonderful stuff in mysteries and, the, and I found all of them very supportive and generally supportive of even the other groups within it. Absolutely. Um, which I think is very valuable. Yes. Well, I'm delighted that this BoucherCon, uh, Kay Carlisle is the um, cozy guest of honor because Cozies don't always get the respect in the genre um, that they deserve. And I, I think that it's a wonderful thing to say this is a, an important subgenre and, um, and there are a lot of people who write in it and there are a lot of people who read in it. So let's celebrate. Mm-hmm. And, and she's a wonderful choice as well. Um, she's a wonderful writer and a, a wonderful member of the community. Oh, yeah. And I I really enjoy her books. And I had met her at a book signing once a long time ago. And, um, you know, it was hard because when you're going through, I was like, I want a cozy guest of honor. There are many very worthy people in this cozy community. But eventually I I settled on asking Kate and I was thrilled she accepted. BoucherCon is actually working really hard to, to make sure that cozies are more included. You'll see we will have cozy guests of honor in some future years as well. I've already noticed that because, um, you know, they're starting to announce those for future years. And I'm like, 
I think that cozies have come into their own. Uh, the idea that we're not um, as accepted in the community is more in the past than it is now in the present. Um, yeah, I think I hope you're right. Um, I do think that right now, when when times are challenging, cozies um, especially have a real gift to readers in that they promise a. They promise justice is served. They promise that the community stays intact. They promise, you know, um, a happily ever after or close to, depending on what happened in the book. Um, and and that's a nice thing to be guaranteed that in uncertain times is is um, yeah, comforting. Definitely a more idealistic community that's heavily based in women running businesses and being more in charge of their lives, which is also something that right now many of us feel like we would like to see more of in the last few years. Uh, So I I agree that cozies are called cozy for a reason. They are comforting in a time when times are difficult. And in the last few years, times have certainly been difficult for many people. Um, And I know I fell into reading some cozies, particularly because I was like, I need to Mm -hmm. feel this. Yes, there's death. I mean, let's Mm -hmm. face it, they're murder mysteries. But, you still have that comforting community. You have the hobby or the interest that the, 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 the thing has that you can learn something about, you know, do I want to deep dive into the tea? Okay. I'm going to go look, look at the Laurel child's tea things. You know, it's like, what, what do I feel like diving into right now that would take me away from some of the bad news and some of the worries of the world? Right. right. And what can I learn? Like, you know, Steam locomotion engineering. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, I think that could be fascinating, right? I mean, what a wonderful premise for a cozy is is, yeah. is doing something. Years, that's... I've been operating a 1907 Baldwin steam locomotive. I know trains really well. I really love trains. And so the idea of a train museum and a woman in, as I said, a very male-dominated hobby, boy, is it. Um but there are women out there who participate, plus lots of women who have husbands and sons participating in it. I think there'll there'll be plenty of people, both men and women, who absolutely hopefully will want to read my book uh, someday. Oh, listen! I think there are a lot of trained enthusiasts who would would love <clears throat> to learn more or to to you know find out. So that's that's also the beauty of cozies is people, you know, they learn and they they visit a world or learn about a hobby that they never knew about. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah. It's funny. Cause like I was saying, Dorothy L. Sayers, how much I loved her. Oh. She would often do a deep dive into some topic. I mean, let's nine tailors, bell yes. change ringing. I yes. learned way too much about bell change ringing for that book, <laughs> but you know what? It's fascinating. And then when I went to England and I was hearing the bells, I'm like, Bell change ringing. I actually know something about that. Yes. Yes. I learned that through reading a mystery, but it's true. Uh, Well, no, and that's such a great example. And I use that all the time because you will never hear a bell chime after having read that book the same way. You will always be like, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah, she's she was really interesting. I mean, she she's another academic who um pursued um 
you know, writing these wonderful mysteries and, and mm-hmm. sort of making the world a better place through them, through Lord Peter Whimsey and Harriet Vane. Oh, and I love those books. Those three books particularly yeah. um, are so amazing. When she so actually amazing. started liking Peter Whimsey um, and she brought in Harriet, the, the books really just, they blossomed into something yeah. quite lovely. Uh, it helps me read the earlier books again and like Peter more because I know who he becomes and I know um, how brilliant he is, um, yeah. particularly later in his life. So it just, yeah, like I said, I became a huge fan of Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers. I still am. I still read them, um, yeah. go back and, you know, it doesn't matter that I remember who killed them. I just really enjoy that world. Yes. Yeah. And, and yes, wonderful characters and wonderful writers. Kim, this has been a wonderful conversation about writing and exploring and reading and community and everything else. Thank you so much for being a member of Sisters in Crime and for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. I, I, I know I'm a bit of a talker, so it, it was fun to, to be able to talk about something I love so much, which is mysteries yeah. and the mystery community. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you in San Diego. Okay. See you then. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.